Welcome back to the Hemingway List, War and Peace Yearathon. We're talking about Book One, Chapter Eight of War and Peace. But first, I thought I'd tell you guys about something, something that makes me very proud of you guys. Um, so I bought today. I bought a new version of War and Peace. Went to the bookshop, got myself uh, a vintage classics P and V. It's beautiful. It's uh, got a nice floral cover in paperback. And I thought that's going to be really handy when I'm translating, doing my working on my Bogan War and Peace version. By the way, book one of that is already out via Amazon. Just search for And Lewis War and Peace. You can find it on your Kindle, or you can buy a paperback. Uh, anyway, so I'm working on book two, uh, book two, chapter ten currently. And recently, in recent chapters, I've thought there's a few bits where I don't know what exactly what is meant. I'm using the Maud translation as my basis for my version. Um, and sometimes, you know, the language can be a bit confusing. Today, this is what happened. This, I'll read you the sentence in Maud, which just made me go, what the hell? Even I, a poor secretary of the Russian embassy, do not feel any need in token of my joy to give my friends a thaler or let him go with his lichpin to the praetor. True, we have no praetor here. And I was just, I read that and I went, what's a Franz? What's a Thaler? What's a Lichbin? And what's a Praetor? I've got no idea. Hey, I thought, hey, luckily today I bought myself the PNV translation. So I referred to the, uh, that sentence in the PNV. And let me read you what PNV did with that sentence. Uh, where am I here? Du-du-du-du. Uh, nor do I, a miserable secretary of the Russian embassy, feel any particular joy, dot, dot, dot. And that's it. <laughs> that's what they did. They just cut off the whole second half of that sentence and just chucked it in the bin. Deleted. No mention of a lichbin or a franz or a thaler or a praetor. So I think uh, PNV just kind of went, oh, I don't know what that means. Uh, no one will notice if I just delete it. So absolutely useless. So then I'm th- I'm trying to Google the individual words: Franz, Thaler, Lichbin, Prater. But I didn't know exactly what language they were. You know, like what I'm translating it from to English. So I wasn't getting very far with any with that. Then I went, oh, you know what? I'm just going to Google the whole sentence and see what happens. And scrolling through the results, nothing, 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 no help, no help. And then there's a <laughs> there is a post in the Google tra- in the Google uh, results for a year of war and peace. That sentence shows up in a year of war and peace. And um, fix the blue. I've got to say a big thanks to fix the blue, who eleven months ago said hi all. I'm wondering if someone can help me get my head around the following passage. And then Fix the Blue has pasted in the exact passage that I'm looking for. Useful Shoe said, Franz was the emperor. A leechbin means uh, a deer or like a sweetheart. Prater is an amusement park in Vienna. And Thaler is money. Um, So, um, boom. We're getting, it, we're getting closer. But then someone has gone in and said, Franz was the emperor, but in my version, he says, my, 
my servant friends. So he's referring to his servant. And Lichpin is like a sweetheart or a girlfriend. So here we go. So then I was able to actually, in my version, um, translate this into, as far as I know, you know, the only English version of War and Peace where the sentence actually makes some sense. And I'm very proud of that. And I thank um, all of those who were part of a year of War and Peace last year and and just this whole project in general, this war, year of War and Peace. We're getting to know this book better than any other people. We're getting so deep into it. So here's what I did with the sentence, just if you're curious. I mean, I'm just a lowly secretary of the Russian embassy, but even I don't feel the need to give my servant Franz a raise and a day off to take his sweetheart to the fair. Not that we have a fair here. Boom. And suddenly, it's just in plain old English, and you can read it and go, I know what those words mean. And there's just such joy for me. I get so much pleasure out of when I take one of these sort of difficult sentences and just straighten it out into something easy and pleasant to read really gives me a, a, a really good uh, bit of a buzz there. So there you go. That's what happened to me today. Working on book two, chapter 10, but let's get a bit ahead of ourselves, isn't it? We're only up to book one, chapter eight. Discussion prompts were these. Oh, these cuties. It's the Rostov kids. And is this our first time meeting Boris? I believe it is. Grumpy Shakespearean said, The Rostov kids are adorable and it was nice to see them a bit of unrestrained... See a bit of unrestrained joy and glee, a breath of fresh air after lots of tense gossip. The Rostov parents seem like they love their kids, which is great because they have 12, a fact I still haven't gotten over. Warren Kovofi answered this saying, um, First time reader, but I think someone in yesterday's reading mentioned that not all of the children are living. Either way, 12 is an insane number. Props to Countess Natalia. Yeah, I think that's correct. I don't think there's 12 living. I think there's far fewer. I can't remember exactly how many, but I think it might be like four or five. Um, so, we've met the Rostov kids. We've met the Rostov parents. The Rostovs are a major family in uh, War and Peace, so um, it's great to sort of, I don't know, meet them again. They're all little kids, and it's just great. Um... Where are we? Where are we? Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Warren Kovofi also said, This was the first line that actually caused me to laugh out loud from our readings. I just loved how simply Tolstoy sums up Natalia's eagerness for the pleasantries to be done with. The Countess looked at the guests with a pleasant smile, without concealing, however, that she would not be upset in the least now if the guests got up and left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good line. Granado said this. I love that line too. It really sums up nicely the Countess graciously waiting for everyone to leave. I know the exact feeling so well. Yeah, I feel like I've been on the receiving end of that feeling a lot because I have some Italian heritage, half of my heritage to be exact. And no, I know I was born in Australia, not, not exactly like from Italy or anything, but I feel like it's in my DNA, that Italian cliche of like dropping into someone's house for a minute or two but then as you're leaving, standing in the doorway and chatting for an hour, <laughs> like you can't get rid of us. We're only in the house for a minute, but then it takes an hour to get rid of us. C. Farley 137 says, I have to admit, when I saw Boris and Natasha together, I thought of Bullwinkle. 
I don't know what that means, but cool. <laughs> uh, Zukov is here with the um, line comparison. Let's go with a line comparison in today's episode. Line, a description of Natasha. Briggs said, Natasha looked out from her mother's lace veil for a minute, peeped up at her through tears of laughter and buried her face again. Garnet, Natasha, pulling her face away from her mother's lace kerchief for a minute, peeped down at her through tears of laughter and hid her face again. Edmonds, Natasha, raising her face for a moment from her mother's lace mantilla, glanced up through tears of laughter and hid her face again. Dunnigan says Natasha raised her head from her mother's lace collar, looked up at her through tears of laughter and again hid her face. Maud, Natasha, raising her face for a moment from her mother's mantilla, glanced up at her through tears of laughter and again hid her face. And P&B, Natasha, tearing, 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 tearing her face momentarily from her mother's lace wrap, looked up at her through tears of laughter and hid her face again. I've got to say, I think the Maud one is the clear best of those it's the only one that has a bit of a rhythm to it i think for for my money at least um translation note from zukov 17 here after about a week of doing these translations i think i'm going to eliminate edmonds and dunnigan moving forward they're almost always exactly like maud and the extra time i spend looking them up isn't usually worth it yeah fair enough those are very minor translations and i think having garnet briggs Maud and P and V is really good. I think that's a really good thing to do. Um, if we come across some lines we really want to dissect, I'll be glad to go back in there. But from now on, moving forward, I'm just going to stick to those four. And if anyone wants to share the Andrew Lewis translation in the comments below, I'd love that. I don't have much to say about these Rostov kids and Boris, except that these chapters, when they are so young, feel very weird that I know what their life trajectories look like. It's been a real joy reading this chapter yeah me that's what i'm saying too when i mean like how like kind of cute and little they are because having read the book i kind of remember them well well i don't know how many years the book spans over but you see them kind of grow up into young adults so um ah, i don't know it's kind of cool to go back um now the Andrew lewis translation of that i could give you the Andrew lewis translation now shall i um, so it's when Natasha buries her face in her mother's lap. Oh, no, I'm going to have to scroll down to it. I might be able to find it if I do a bit of a search. Um, ah, okay, mine's pretty plain, actually. Natasha lifted her face from her mother's mantilla, glanced at her through tears of laughter, then quickly hid her face again. I think I pretty much just stuck pretty close to the uh, to the Maud one, just simplified it slightly. Um, Totobo said, what a grand cinematic entrance for Natalia Rostov. She seems delightful. She is delightful, one of my favourite characters, and I love that, you know, she's a flawed character, and you'll see that more and more as we go through. I won't say much more than that, but um, likeable, but kind of human in her flaws and uh, I think that's awesome um, alright continuing continuing 
I am Norwegian kind of reiterates here, saying, It's strange meeting these kids again after finishing the book. Suddenly, Natasha is a child running all around. I always imagined her as a great beauty, so having Tolstoy describe her as not pretty surprised me. Yeah, it's funny that, because definitely as you go through the book, you think of her as more and more beautiful. Um, and then to, for, for that initial description of her to be, like, not pretty, it's like, really? Is that... That was never what I really even remembered. Intrepid Swordfish says, The highlight of today's podcast, I'm only partway through, is the elephant story. (laughs) Well, thank you. I'm glad that was the highlight. I'm glad you liked that story because the whole reason I wanted to steal an elephant, if you'll recall, is so I could have a good story to tell. And it seems that without actually stealing the elephant, I still managed to make it into a good story. So (laughs) that's uh, uh, that, that's, that makes me happy. Um, all right, that's our conversation, pretty short and sweet today. I will remind you guys that there is a Patreon if you want to support me in the making of, um, well, both of these projects. The Patreon is kind of double doubling up as the way to support both the Bogan War and Peace project and the making of this podcast. So if you appreciate the efforts that I'm putting in there for both of those, go and uh, be a Patreon subscriber and flick me a dollar or two i very much appreciate it all right now where are we up to here uh chapter 12 chapter 12 let's read it let's go you guys ready it's the andalus version and it goes like this the only young people left in the drawing room not including the young lady visitor or the countess's eldest daughter who was four years older than her younger sister natasha and tried to act like a grown-up were Nicholas, the oldest boy, and Sonia, the niece. Sonia was a skinny little thing with brown hair in two thick plaits that coiled twice around her head, caring eyes with long lashes and a tawny tan in her complexion. She moved with grace, with a certain softness and flexibility about her slender but muscular limbs and a coyness in her reserved manner that brought to mind a half-grown kitten which might one day make a very good cat. She was doing a decent job of following the conversation of the room, showing respectful interest in what others said and smiling, but in spite of herself, she couldn't keep her eyes off her cousin, Nicholas, the one who was joining the army. She was into him, real bad, with a girlish passion. The smile could not for a moment impose upon anyone, and it was clear that this little kitten had only settled in the drawing room for a moment and would spring up full of beans to play with her cousin as soon as they could escape the drawing room as Natasha and Boris had already done. "'Yep, my dear,' said the Count, addressing the visitor and pointing a thumb to Nicholas. "'This one's leaving me, his poor old man, to join the military service. His friend Boris has become an officer, and Nicholas, he is such a good friend that he's leaving the university to go with Boris. We even had a place for him at the archives department ready to go. Now that's a good friend, don't you reckon?' remarked the Count thoughtfully. But they reckon war has been declared, said the visitor. Ah, they always say that. It's just something they say, said the Count. They used to say it, they still do, and they always will. Tell you what, that's real friendship for you, though. He's joining the Hussars. The visitor had no response for this, so she shook her head. That's not why I'm going, declared Nicholas, acting, sorry, arcing up and turning away as if from a shameful accusation. I'm not going because of Boris or because of our friendship. I'm going because the army is my vocation. 
He shot a look at his cousin and then at the young lady visitor. Both were watching him with adoring eyes. Schubert's coming for dinner today, the colonel of the Pavlograd Hussars. He's been here on leave and he'll be taking Nicholas back with him. It's done now, no going back from here, said the Count with a shrug of his thick shoulders and a playful tone which failed to mask that the topic shook him up a bit. I've told you already, Papa, said his son. If you don't want me to go, I won't. But I'm useless here. The army is the only place I'm any use. I'm no diplomat. I'm no government clerk. Sorry, I have no filter. I just say stuff. As he spoke, he kept glancing over at Sonia and the young visitor, with a flirtatious look on his handsome, youthful face. The little kitten was feasting her eyes on him. She seemed ready to drop her civilised air and start her kitten gambles again and pounce on him. All right, all right, all right, said the Count. He always arcs up like this bloody Bonaparte has got them all amped up. They all froth over how he started as an ensign and ended up as an emperor. Yeah, well, good luck to him, he added, not noticing his visitor's sarcastic smile. The elders began talking about Bonaparte. Julie Karagina, the younger visitor, turned to young Nicholas Rostov. Shame you weren't at the Arkharovs on Thursday. No fun without you there, she said, smiling tenderly. The young lady, sorry, the young lad, was flattered and sat down near to her with a playful smile. He locked the smiling Julie into an intimate conversation, not noticing that his goofy, uncontrollable smile was making young Sonia feel like she was being knifed in the heart. Sonia blushed and smiled unnaturally. In the middle of his conversation, he glanced at Sonia. She was staring daggers at him, and while Nicholas quietly shat himself, she got up and swiftly left the room, and though she managed to wear her artificial smile all the way to the door, tears were showing in her eyes. The wind was now thoroughly knocked out of Nicholas's sails. He waited for the first pause in the conversation, and then, with a worried expression, left the room to find Sonia. Trouble in paradise, eh? Ah, youths. Can't help but wear their hearts on their sleeves, said Anna Mikhailovna, pointing to Nicholas as he went out. Cousinage de rue voisage, she added. Cousinhood is a dangerous neighbourhood. Yes, said the Countess. Once the brightness that the youngsters brought to the room had faded... Oh, sorry. Yes, said the Countess. Once the brightness that the youngsters had brought to the room had faded... And... As if answering a question that no one had asked, but was plaguing her mind. At all the stress and anxiety we've been through to get them to hear. And even now, there's more anxiety than joy. It's never bloody ending. Especially at this age. There's so much they could fuck up. My head spins. It all depends how they're brought up, said the visitor. Yeah, true, continued the countess. Till now I have always, thank God, been close with the kids. They trust me and tell me everything, said she, repeating the misguided sentiment of so many parents who trust that their children don't keep secrets from them. I know I'll always be my daughter's first confidant, and that when Nicholas, being the scallywag that he is, does get into mischief, boys will be boys after all, he will at least never be as bad as those Petersburg boys. Yeah, they are marvellous, marvellous kids, chimed in the Count, who always solved perplexing questions by declaring that everything was marvellous. Uh, bloody hell, hey? Wants to be an hussar. What are we supposed to do with that, my dear? 
Your girl is a charming little creature, said the visitor. Real little volcano. Volcano is the word, said the Count. Takes after her old man, and I'll tell you something else. She has a set of pipes on her. You should hear her sing. I'm not just saying this because she's mine, but one day she'll be a singer. A second Salamini. We've got her a singing coach now, an Italian. Isn't she too young? I've heard it's bad for their voice to train at that age. No, no, she'll be right, replied the Count. Our mothers were married by twelve or thirteen. And she's already in love with Boris, fancy that, said the Countess with a gentle smile, looking at Boris, even though he'd left the room in the previous chapter. She went on, evidently concerned with a thought that always occupied her. Now here's what's my problem. If I'm too strict and forbid the two from seeing each other, goodness knows what they'll get up to on the sly. She meant they might sneak away for a pash. But, as it is, I know every secret she has. She comes running to me every evening by herself, ready to spill the beans about everything. Maybe I spoil her, but I reckon that's the best way to go about it. With her older sister, I was stricter. Yeah, you brought me up very differently, remarked that older sister. Older daughter, sorry. The handsome Countess Vera, with a smile. The smile was no good on her, though. It didn't make her more beautiful, as smiles usually do. On the contrary, it uglied her up a little, making her expression unnatural and therefore unpleasant. Vera was a good-looking girl and a good student, smart and well brought up. Her voice was pleasant too, and what she said was perfectly true and appropriate, and yet, weirdly enough, everyone, the visitors and counters alike, turned to look at her in overt confusion, as if they were all awkwardly wondering why she had said what she did. Yeah, people overdo it with their oldest kids, I reckon. They're too clever about it. Try too hard to make them something special, said the visitor. No good in denying that, right, my dear? My lovely wife was too clever with Vera, said the Count. But you know what? She turned out marvellously all the same, he added, winking at Vera. The guests got up and left, promising to be back for dinner. Far out, I thought they'd never leave. Unbelievable, said the Countess, exasperated, once she had seen her guests out. Alright, there we go. There's chapter 12 for you. Or chapter 9, I guess. Thanks very much for listening. I'll see you guys tomorrow.